you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit Common Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. We're just spending a little bit of time here as we're getting ready for uh, the Fowlers to arrive. And we've been looking at what um, authenticity as a Christ follower should look like. And these particular verses give us some real good help with that. It breaks down into two categories. Basically, Jesus said that we would be known by our love. That we should love others the same way that he loved us. And it begins with our love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then this passage ends with um, how we love the world. (laughs) Outside of the church, how do we express our our uh, um, affections and, and love towards them in a way that can make a difference in all of their lives? So we're about three sermon. Or this will be our third sermon into this, and um, it kind of goes back to that same thing about Brian doing everything by himself. That seems to be something that happens to people in ministry. We just tend to take on and take on and take on and do things until we suddenly find out, you know, or discover it's just me doing it. Uh, Ted and I just had a, a very brief uh, uh, discussion back there because he, you know, being Ted, asked me, how are you doing? And I said, you know what? I came into town today and I found my irritation level just spiking. And, I, I, you know, it's just weird how that kind of comes out of the blue. Does that happen to you, too, where just almost anything and everything just starts to irritate you? And, and I was having one of those Sundays, and I go, I do not want to enter into the pulpit uh, like that. And so uh, I shared that with Matt, too, and we prayed about that, about unloading that sort of thing. And, uh, and you know, Ted being Ted, he says, well, what's going on? <laughs> you know, how come you're so irritated? I don't know. It's just who I am, I guess. Then I started to think about, well, you know, we just we just sold a house, we moved into a house, we bought a car, we've had insurance claims with hail damage and then car accidents happening. You know, even after you buy a car, you can still get run into, you know. Um, and uh, I said, I think I've just been going so hard here for a while that I just haven't realized how it's kind of starting to wear on me uh, a little bit. And then Ted, me and Ted said, well, you know, you can get a hold of me anytime you need some help. <laughs> and I'm like, we know that, right? Don't we know that? But how easy it is it is for us to forget that. Because we're in a culture of, of people that are extremely independent. Um, that's, that's who we are. We celebrate on July 4th our independence, so to speak. But we take it way further, especially here in the Midwest and South Dakota, where you know we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps kind of thing. If it's going to get done, by golly, I'm going to be the one to get it done. And uh, we don't realize with that that we, we tend to kind of break down into this, this sort of lone wolf without even realizing it. Now, here's one of the things that I think COVID has demonstrated to us in these past few months. And, and that is, is that as Christians, as the church, we do not do well being scattered and isolated from one another. Okay, um, That was, in a sense, kind of thrust upon us. 
And it's been hard. And, and I, I, I told somebody the other day, I, I said, in 36 years of doing ministry, these last few months have been the hardest months of ministry that I've ever experienced. You'd think we could just sit back and relax a little bit. You know, <laughs> well, I don't have to deal with all the people on Sunday. We'll just talk to them through a, you know, through a camera or that kind of thing. But it's, it's just been exhausting. And, and a lot of it's because it's hard to care for a flock that's scattered all over the place. And, and then you start to see this happen. As much as we really like each other down here, which is weird, you know, we, we do, we, we're just a, a, a crazy, you know, as a, just eclectic, that's the word I'm looking for, this eclectic bunch of people. And we really like each other. But even though we like and we love each other, um, I was experiencing, each, you know, some of us were getting on each other's nerves a lot too. And I thought, you know why that happens? Because we, we, we don't see each other. We, we don't see the smiles on a person. We don't see the expression on a person's face when we're talking to them through a thread or through a text or through a camera, that sort of thing. And we sometimes forget who people are. And, and just a little thing can kind of get us a little bit upset. That's, that's who we are as human beings. We're not a beautiful thing on our own. Okay, so as we get to Romans 12 here, particularly verses 12 through 13, uh, we're going to see where, where this passage, uh, Paul written, writing this through the Holy Spirit, delves into our need to shun a lone wolf mentality when it comes to how we express our faith or how we live in our faith and how we grow in our faith. Now you have to understand, I'm, I'm saying this as uh, an introvert. I tend to withdraw. From people, um, I, that, that's that's my comfort zone. That's that's where I where I kind of like to go. But Paul is saying, you know, you introvert, extrovert, omnivert, whatever you are, you you can't do Christianity alone. That's why he gave us each other. That's why he gave us this thing that we call the church, uh, the body of Christ. So there's two main points that I think that that are being brought out in this text as we look at it. And, and it's just this, and that's especially in tough times. We need others, right? I mean, how many times have you found yourself in, in difficult circumstances and you're kind of alone and you, you get this sudden realization, boy, I could use some help right now. I, I, I could use some people stepping into my life. That's, that's our constant need. Um, but especially during tough times, we need others. We also have to remember that others need us in tough times. And that's why we exist as we do. And that's why Jesus said that this is how people are going to know that you're truly my disciples, that you are authentic in your faith. It's going to be if you remember those things, how much you need others in tough times and how much others need you in those tough times as well. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at the text. Lord, you just have this uncanny, nagging way of reminding me of how much I need to look into your word, to understand your word, and then to um, do to take action upon what your word says here. And so I pray that you would help us to do that today, that your spirit would guide us as we look into uh, this letter that was written thousands of years ago, but still written to us 
and that you would help us to see, Lord, the characteristics that that you would like us to demonstrate as we walk with you. Lord, we, we stumble in many ways, um, but you always extend a hand to lift us back up and to get us back on track. So I pray for that today, where I stumble, um, help me to get back on track. And uh, Lord, I pray that for all my brothers and sisters here as well, that, that this community that we live in, um, that they would see that there's something real about what we believe. And that when we talk about Jesus, it's because um, he's very real indeed to us. And we want him to be real to other people. So Lord, where we might be um, lacking, and we pray that you would fill us up. And uh, that you would grant to us through your spirit the ability to live out what your word says. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here it is. It's very short and sweet. Romans 12, verses 12 through 13 where it begins by saying, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So I'm just going to stop there before I get to verse 13, because I think that that what Paul's addressing right here is what we can do with ourselves, what we can do with our person. Okay, In the next verse, he's going to talk about what we can do with our property. And, and there are three characteristics just given to us right there. Rejoicing in hope is one. Being patient in tribulation is another. Being constant in prayer is the third. And so this is the question we have to ask, ask ourselves as we look at the scripture today. Is that me? Okay, in, in my faith, in my walk with Jesus Christ, am I a person that's known for being joyful in hope do i rejoice in hope um this world needs to see hope and where are they going to see it best they're going to see it from people that have experienced hope now this is why we we have hope in fact uh, we can say this we have a common hope because nothing surpasses knowing jesus christ and that he has exclusive care for our souls. No matter what else is going on in life right now, that should be our anchor. That we have the ability now to know Jesus Christ through what he's done to to connect us back to God. And in knowing him, we can realize that he has the perfect, flawless, exclusive care of our souls. He is our shepherd, our good shepherd, the chief shepherd, uh, as Peter describes him. Do you forget that sometimes? <laughs> I do. And, and when I do, I'm not rejoicing in hope. I'm grumbling about my situation or my circumstances. And so there it is. It's as easy as that. If you ever find yourself just kind of circumstances get the better of you, so you start giving everybody the worst of you, <laughs> that, that's a good time to say, you know what, Lord, I need you. I need you to step in here and to help me to be joyful in the hope that I have. Now, the second one is enduring uh, or in, having an enduring quality, being patient in tribulation. Um, because of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done for us, because of him giving us his Holy Spirit, we now have the ability to face every tribulation with patience and long-suffering. Now, even as I say that, I go, oh boy, 
<laughs> oh, how often I fail at that, you know? How quick I am to, again, maybe grumble or complain or to, you know, I get caught in a situation and I just wish it would get fixed. Fix it now. Okay, can we just get over with this and move on to the next thing? And, and, and I come to realize that is not patience in tribulation. Okay, that's impatience in tribulation. Uh, for, I, I bought, you know, you mentioned buying a car, Kathleen, uh, a few weeks ago, or a few months now, I guess it is. Um, I bought this Nissan Rogue. It is not a thing of beauty, okay? Uh, it's got hail dents on it. It's dimpled up like a golf ball. Uh, it's been driven to Newell and back several times by a young teacher. It's got weird noises that it makes. The dashboard lights up like a Christmas tree. So, you know, I don't know whether to check the engine, make sure my tires are full, or, you know, go have my automatic brake system. It's all lighting up, right? But I got it because it would be good in snow, and um, it would have decent gas mileage. That's that's all I really cared about. And uh, two weeks after purchasing this vehicle, a paint van coming down the road, personally, the uh, apparently the person driving the paint van was suffering some kind of a medical condition, like a heart attack or a stroke. We don't know what exactly. He just came down Haynes Avenue out of control, almost drove through Taco John's without using the drive-through. Okay, came back onto the road. There was a witness that saw all that. All I know is I was sitting there at a red light, and I looked up in my rearview mirror for some reason. Looked up my rearview mirror, saw this big white man coming in hot, and there was a car between me and him. So I just leaned back into my seat, heard the impact of him smacking into her car, and then felt the impact of her being pushed into my car. No one was hurt. I hope he's okay. I was pretty worried about him. Well, now we have to deal with the insurance, right? Anybody have to deal with insurance people? Do you remember Brian, our, our, our pastor up here, a year ago talking about how ugly he got with an insurance? He had to call back and apologize. I'm there. <laughs> I get what he was talking about. So his insurance company isn't doing anything. They keep... Stringing me along, saying by the nature, you because know, of the nature of the investigation. I go, well, what do you mean when you say nature of it? Well, because he's, we're checking in the liability because he had either a stroke or a heart attack when this happened. And I'm going, isn't that why we buy insurance? <laughs> in case those things happen? And then I found out that it might stair step down that the lady, the poor little old lady that was squished in between us, it might go to her insurance to pay for my car. And I'm like, no, that's wrong. That should not happen. And then I find myself getting really unpatient. Unpatient. I'm making up words now. <laughs> in tribulation. And, I, and I've been about ready to pop all because of this. And then I read the scripture, and, and shouldn't I just be waiting on God? Shouldn't I be trusting that he probably has a better plan working than any insurance company does? He's just waiting to show it to me to reveal it. By the way, Matthew, thank you for that song about I will not go. <laughs> Unless, because it reminds us that sometimes we, we do forget what God is doing, and we need him uh, to be with us in that. Um, as, as Christians, we are told to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And that is how we can be patient in tribulation. You see, it takes a corporate thing to be joyful in hope. It takes a corporate thing, a togetherness, a connectedness, to be able to endure patiently in times of tribulation. 
know, how, during COVID, how do we weep with those who weep when we're all sequestered away in individual homes or that sort of thing? And we need that personal presence to be, even if we have to stay six feet away from each other, I can weep with you. I can, I can mourn with you if you're going through a tough time. Um, I can rejoice when you're, when you're facing some really good things as well. We need to share those experiences with one another. That's authentic Christianity. And then the third thing was being constant in prayer. Um, and, and I call that abiding. Uh, I, I think the best way to, to kind of put that into, into terms that we can understand is, is Paul was saying that, that we need to be, re, to be remain planted in an attitude of prayer. Pray without ceasing. Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? Pray constantly in every circumstance. Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? You know, here's what we forget when we read those things is we tend to apply that just personally. Okay, now I need to pray more kind of thing. I always read that pray without ceasing thing and I go, the best way I can do that is pray myself to sleep. Because I didn't really stop. You know, I just fell asleep kind of thing. And that, by the way, that is a good way to go to sleep. (laughs) But this is addressed to the corporate body when Paul said that. Pray without ceasing. Pray in every circumstance. And isn't it kind of interesting that in Western Christianity we just tend to schedule those things? When really we should be at the drop of a hat, ready to pray? Somebody right now, give me something to pray for. One thing. What's something we can pray for? Okay, let's pray for our country. We're going to do that right now. Okay, Father, we're going to stop this sermon right now, this message, because you tell us to be constant in prayer. And you tell us to do that collectively. And Lord, it's easy for us as we think about what's going on in our country right now, um, what we've seen and what we've observed and what we've experienced because of COVID and because of protests and, and so many other things. Uh, that we can see that our country is really in a messy situation right now. And it's real easy for us to see that and to make a lot of noise about it. We can yell about what's wrong, when in reality, what we should be doing is what's right. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to stop shouting so much about what's wrong and help us especially as the body of Christ to rise up together and to do what is right. Lord, if we see injustice, help us to step into that. When we see someone hurting, being mistreated or something, let us be a people that, that step in and help. So Lord, we just, we're not asking you to fix our country by just snapping your fingers or wiggling your nose or something like that and it all gets better. We're asking, Lord, that you would work in us as your image here on earth um, to make our country uh, better. Lord, we can do better, but we need your help to do that. So we pray for that, and we pray that uh, we would be known for love and kindness and justice and mercy, uh, especially in these difficult times that our nation is facing. We pray that in Jesus' name. There, you see how simple that was? 
You know, and we can do that at any given time. You can be talking to somebody and have a conversation with, with, with a brother or sister in Christ, and they might say something to you like, my irritation level is spiking. And Matt will say, let's pray, Nick. Because <laughs> that's what we need. We need to just stop what we're doing and pray. That's the most important work that we could be doing as Christians, and we're told that we should be abiding in that and resting in that constantly. And again, that's a corporate function that we do. So you see those three things that we can do with our person, being joyful, being enduring, being abiding, is something that we can do together. Now here's something else we should probably talk about, is all three of those things were demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was God, who took on human flesh, is God, took on human flesh, came down here to die for our sins. And if that was all he had to do, he could have snapped his fingers, died on the cross, boom, it would all have been taken care of. But he spent three and a half years displaying to us what God looks like in human form. So that we would know in any given situation, this is what God would do. Okay, so go back and read the Gospels, and what you're seeing is God acting out... In certain situations. And in those situations, we see that he was joyful, that he was enduring, and that he was abiding. We're told in Hebrews that Jesus endured the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. And that's hope. Jesus knew while he was hanging on the cross what that was going to produce. He knew what it was going to do for you, and he knew what it was going to do for me. And as horrible as crucifixion is, he was able to endure that circumstances joyfully because he knew what it would produce. You see the example that was given to us in that? And that's the same thing when it comes down to being patient in tribulation. Did, did Jesus have an easy life? When you read the Gospels, it didn't just look like he was just prancing through the posies the whole time? Petting puppies and chasing butterflies? No. It was tough. He had a tough life. Everybody, you know, even when he was born, there was some guy that wanted to kill him. And, and that's the way it went all the way through his life. Someone was always oppressing Jesus. They were always against Jesus. His life was difficult. But do you ever see Jesus go, Oh man, my life is so hard. Is there a pub open? No, I never once do you find him doing that. But instead, just what can I do to help other people? What can I do to step into their lives? I know what it's like to live a hard life. Other people live hard lives too. What can I do to maybe help them make their life a little bit easier? Jesus is described as a man of sorrows. Okay, That means he knows our sorrows. He understands them. He knows when we're going through a tough time what it's doing to us. And He's our ever-present help to get through those tough times because no one is as sympathetic, empathetic, or understanding as Jesus Christ. If He could do it, and He would send the Spirit to us so that we can do it, then that means we can do it. And He was abiding. Jesus was the one who told us, you know, to, to be one as he and his father are one. He, he abided completely in his father. And that, that makes my noodle get all twisted up inside my head. How does that work? God the son, God the father, and that relationship. But, but it's presented to us, and, and that's what it looked like. That Jesus basically trusted God and the father in everything. 
He wouldn't even move his finger unless his father said, that's what I want you to do, son. How did Jesus know what his father wanted done? I mean, he left the throne of heaven. He wasn't there at his right side anymore. What what did Jesus do so that he knew what his father wanted him to do? He got up early in the morning and he prayed. What? God prayed? God prayed to God? Well, that's just weird. But yet that's what he did in a relationship with his eternal father. And we're called to do the same constantly. Okay, that moves us on to the last two things in this passage, and that's verse 13, where it says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And this carries on what we can do with our person, but it then starts to narrow down into what we can do with our property for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That this is part of what we are as the church, all right? So contribute to the needs of the saints. That's generosity, okay? Simple as that. When you go back and read through the book of Acts, what what did the church do for one another? They sold property if anybody was in need. You know, what does that look like? I, I can tell you what that looks like. Um, I was a teacher at a Christian school. That's not a money-making business. <laughs> okay, And um, there were times when the board would meet and they would pray their guts out because they did not have the income to pay their teachers. Okay? I did not know about this for many years. There was one particular board member there that sold his boat and his airplane so that the teachers could have a paycheck. That's Acts chapter 2, Christianity, at work there. I think that the ancient world Christians would be flabbergasted to look at the prosperity that we all know as Americans and go, look at the resources you people have to help one another. But yet, because of a lone wolf mentality, that doesn't happen. I'm out here dealing with my problems, they're out there dealing with their problems. But if we are together and connected as we're supposed to be as Christians, um, when we would become aware of someone that's facing a tough time, then we'd go, well, that means I have the opportunity to take something that God has blessed me with and make it a blessing for them. Now, that's what Christianity should look like. It should look generous. Uh, it, we know that because who is more generous than Jesus? Can you think of anybody that can outgive Jesus? When it, when it came to our need as broken sinners, separated from God, bound for eternal wrath and destruction, who who could, who did, whoever could give more than Jesus Christ gave to fix that need? He gave everything. He gave it all. Jesus, when he came here, he said, I'm, I'm here to give you me. And no matter what that's going to cost me, I want you to have that. Because that's how much I want this need in your life, this spiritual separation that you have from my Father. That's how much I want to have that fixed. So go ahead and spit on me. Go ahead and punch me. Go ahead and pluck out my beard. Go ahead and shred my back into hamburger. Go ahead and nail me to a cross. And mock me 
and scoff at me and ridicule me. If that's what it takes, I'll pay it. You see, that's generosity. That's what it looks like. And then we're called to go and love in the same manner that Jesus Christ loved. That, that means when my brother and sister is in need, I should be looking at them and say, whatever it costs me, I want to I meet that need in your life. I, I want to do what, what needs to be done there, no matter what. And then the second part of that phrase is seek to show hospitality. Um, this is really an interesting word. When you hear hospitality, what do you, what do you typically think of? someone over for dinner. <laughs> Come on over to my house. <laughs> We're going to have baked beans and bratwurst and things. Yeah, we are, actually, this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's something Lori and I love. I mean, there's actually a spiritual gift of hospitality. And we love having people over and hanging out and things like that. And for so long, that's kind of what I thought Jesus meant when he said, you know, hospitality, show hospitality to one another. Well, it's really kind of interesting. There's two different Greek words in the New Testament that get translated into hospitality. Uh, the first one combines the Greek word uh, philos, okay, where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Okay, so so they take the word that means brotherly love, and then they they combine that with xenos. Do you know what xenos is? That's someone that's strange to you. There's nobody stranger to me than most of you sitting out here. <laughs> There's someone who's kind of unknown to you, all right? And, and what they do in combining those words is you got to end that. you got to end that sense of this person is unknown to me. And, and guess what? We get to do that until Jesus comes back within this body here. You know, here's the nice thing about Common Ground. It's really small. For those of you who are checking in on our on our live stream, it's kind of like you're peeking through the windows at us right now. Here's something that you need to know. You cannot come into this church and remain anonymous for very long. So, prayer request, what's your name? <laughs> you know, and we start learning names. We want to know who we're praying for and that sort of thing. Um, you, you, big churches, man, you can slip in, sit in the back row and zip out of there and maintain your, your lone wolf attitude. Not a knock against big churches, they have their purpose, but it's real easy to do that. Here at Common Ground, you're going to get pinned down. Someone's going to come talk to you. Ted might hug you. <laughs> Things like that. And, and that's because we, we don't want to maintain this sense of, I really don't know who that person is. And it's more than knowing their name. We really want to know you. And, and we want to be known by you because that's what we're called to do. That's what hospitality is. Now, the second Greek word that's used in there, one of them uses that word xenos, stranger, and then it combines it with another Greek term for taking the hand of. Boy, that goes way deeper than just having somebody over for dinner. That's, that, that's actually saying, I don't know who you are, but you're my brother and sister in Christ, brother or sister in Christ, and I'm taking hold of you. And, and that means that I'm one with you. That means what I have is available to you. Okay? Here's my car keys to my car. Here's the key to my house. Okay? 
Here's the food in my refrigerator. Whatever it might be, um, I am taking hold of you so that you know those are yours. That's what hospitality is. You know, you go back and read the Old Testament, it's really amazing how many times God said, show that to the stranger because you were once strangers in Egypt. And, And God wanted Israel to be known for that characteristic of reaching out and taking the hand of. And and that happened, like Ruth. You know, read the story of Ruth. Naomi reached out and took the hand, took a hold of Ruth. And that enabled Ruth to say, you know, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. Whoever you worship, that's who I'm going to worship. Whoever your people are, they're going to be my people. And that, again, is something that demonstrates authenticity in our faith. Being hospitable. Well, yeah, we should open up our homes to people. This is great. You can play games, eat food together, and stuff like that. It's fun. But it, it means just right here in this setting, who's somebody I don't know very well? And how can I change that today? And, and how can I let them know that whatever, whatever God has given me, He's giving to them as well? That's what the church should look like. And again... Why would we say this is an important characteristic? Because who is more inviting to himself than Jesus Christ? Who is the one that said, hey, whatever you're carrying right now, no matter how heavy your burden is, come to me. Come to me. Who is the one that that promised his disciples this? You know what? I am going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Who is the one that opens the door to heaven and all the riches of grace, the immeasurable treasures of God's goodness, and says, I am the door. Any who enters through me can come to my Father. That's hospitality. That's Jesus leaving the throne of heaven, stripping himself, veiling himself of his glory that would cause us, as soon as we saw him, to just fall at our feet at him. But instead, he veiled it in human flesh and came down to us. And he went up to nut jobs like John and James and Peter and Andrew. And he took hold of them. He said, follow me, come with me. I'll turn your life upside down in a really good way. When Jesus saw the Samaritan woman who was in sin, who was shunning her own society to come to the well in the heat of the day so that she didn't have to face any of the other Samaritans in her village, Jesus said, hey, let's have a talk. I want you to know who I am. Could you give me some water, please? He engaged. When the woman that was caught in adultery, Jesus took hold of her. Maybe not literally in that sense, but he took hold of her in a sense to know that she could be forgiven. That no matter how disgraced she might have felt in that moment, no matter how humiliating that day, that was probably her worst day ever. And Jesus made it her best worst day. Because she recognized that even he would not condemn her. That even he would be willing to forgive her and restore her. 
You know, I was looking through the Old Testament trying to find a, a, a picture of what this what this looked like, this joyfulness, this enduring tough tough times, this this abiding together, this generosity and this this sense of invitation and taking hold of others. And I, I think it's best found in Jonathan and David. Now go back and read First Samuel. It's it's an amazing story. Uh, Jonathan was the son of this, the king of Israel. That meant he was next in line. Okay, that, that, that meant that he was going to take over the dynasty when Saul was no longer. And along comes this skinny-armed shepherd boy who was known for whipping a giant and a few other things. And, and, and Saul did not want David anywhere near him. He wanted David dead. Now, in most situations, what the father wanted, the son wanted as well. It would have been perfectly normal for Jonathan to look at David and say, you are my rival. You're trying to take what is supposed to come to me. So I am going to hunt you down and pursue you just as my father is so that you will no longer be that kind of a threat to me. But instead, Jonathan let his soul be knit to David's. That's what the Bible says. Their souls were knit together. That's taking hold of. And Jonathan went to this, this beleaguered, broken down young shepherd boy who said, I just, I just want to follow God, but you know that, that upsets Saul and he just wants to kill me and that's my life now. I've just been living on the run. And, and Jonathan says, I know my friend. See this ring? This is my signet ring. This signifies my authority, my power here. I'm putting it on your hand. Oh, my cloak. Here, take my cloak as well. I, I, I kind of get this picture that he was kicking off his sandals and everything and said, David, everything that is mine is yours. Even the kingship. Wow, there's an incredible picture of what brotherhood looks like. And that's what we are as the church, as the body of Christ, brothers and sisters to one another, who should be joyful in hope, enduring in tough times, abiding constantly in prayer together, generous towards one another, and inviting into our lives, not just our homes, but into our lives. I think that the more we do this, the stronger the church will be and the more relevant our message will be to the world if they see this on display. So let's pray. And as we pray, uh, let's ask God if that's who we are. Fathers, we step before you now as we bow before you again. We thank you that you are constantly with us. We thank you that there is never a time when you are apart from us because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know what it's like to be apart from you. We know what it's like to have our sins separate us from you and from others. But we also know that Christ came to die on a cross so that that separation could be removed and that we could be restored to you through repentance. 
and forgiveness on your part and all that because of your grace and not anything that we have done ourselves. So Lord, as we come before you now, we know that we hold that in common as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And so now we ask that you would help us to make it a common goal here at Common Ground to always gather together so that we can corporately praise you, that we could together pursue patience through difficult times, so that we could pray together as the family of Jesus. So that together we might seek your will and in knowing your will, go out and do it. Lord, would you also make it our common goal to be known for our generosity and our hospitality for any saint in need. Lord, you've given to us more than we could ever ask for. And often, in my case, I give you back so little. Today, Lord, will you find us here ready to give ourselves to you for your kingdom's sake? That we, like Jesus, Jonathan, would be a people that would take care of our brothers and sisters around us. And we ask this for the glory of Jesus. We ask it for the increase of His kingdom. And we ask it in His name. In His name alone. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.